Let's open our Bibles back up to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's do the better half of this sermon, or these two sermons. The half about the second Adam, the half about the last Adam, the half about the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope I said enough to remind you of how terrible sin is. I hope that every dysfunction of machine or relationship, of your body or your thoughts that you encounter today or tomorrow, that is sin. And that you'll put it down. And that you'll mortify it and put it to death and choose to put on the new man. So so much more could be said. I hope I said enough to get your attention of how terrible sin and death both are and death being caused by sin, and that you are hopelessly damned. That's a Bible word, meaning that you're condemned. You're hopelessly damned and doomed without this second sermon, or without the rest of what the Bible tells us about our Savior. Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, we've been there before, but here we go again. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, 2,500 years even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. The first Adam in the Garden of Eden was a figure. He was a picture of who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam was a picture of Jesus Christ. We're told that in verse 14. So when we come to verse 17, we find a second half to this verse. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, there is a figure, there's a figure, there's a picture, there's something shown in what Adam did. Verse 17, if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So as bad as I made the law of sin and death, and as bad as I made the king of terrors, and as bad as I made the first Adam, we have a second Adam, and we have the law of righteousness and life. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is what is our hope. And all our hope is in him. And we come together out of the world for assemblies to have our faith and our hope reminded about the Lord Jesus Christ, and so that we rest on him entirely. Verse 21, verse 20, we went over before, moreover the law entered, that's the law of Moses, 2,500 years after creation, that the offense might abound. God gave the law of Moses to show us how sinful we are, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Romans 7, 13, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, Remember? Kings reigning. Sin and death reigning, ruling, governing your life, and you can't touch them. You can't alter them. You can't defer them. But that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord, the second Adam. Now what two words in verse 20 start with M that are next to each other, and they're both four letters long, should mean something to you. Much more. 
Now, wait a minute. Sin and death, I'm a sinner three ways. I'm going to die three ways. You mean there's something much more? The Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, much more. Where sin abounded, grace did. Grace didn't just abound. Grace didn't just more abound. Grace abounded much more. We have total victory over death. Total victory over sin through the Lord Jesus Christ in the ways that we are referring to today. Saints live three ways. Believers live three ways. We're alive by nature, by being born again. Our spirits go to God when we die. And we have eternal life of glory in glory in heaven with our Lord Jesus. A reigning law means that it rules and it cannot be altered. A reigning law cannot be avoided, cannot be beaten, cannot be thwarted. And the law of life in Christ Jesus hath saved us from the law of sin and death and cannot be overthrown. This is the truth of the gospel. God sent his son to be the second Adam for us so that by imputation we are given the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience so that we can stand faultless before his throne. Now I want to show you the figure. It's in verse 14 that the first Adam in the Garden of Eden was a figure of Jesus. However, verse 15, 12 through 19, eight verses, are describing the doctrine of imputation, the doctrine of federal headship, the doctrine of original sin, the doctrine of representation from 12 to 19. Eight verses. In the first three, the Apostle Paul tells us that the first Adam in the Garden of Eden was a figure of Jesus Christ. That if we look at Adam, we can learn things about Jesus Christ. If we see imputation of one to many by Adam in Eden, we can see imputation of righteousness of one to many that are in Christ. And to just get this over with, though we've done it so many times before, how do you get into Adam? You're conceived. How do you get into Christ? You're elected into Christ and chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. So when it says, all in Adam die, that's everyone born human. All in Christ, all the elect will be made alive. It's not that all men will be made alive, because most will not. But all the elect will be. Why does verse 15... If Jesus was prefigured by Adam, why does verse 15 start with a but? Now, I usually love buts. I still do. I still love this one. But I want you to look at it. There's a but there. It's better. It's better. Oh, thank you, Matthew. <laughs> yes, it's better. Let's just read it. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Though there are many... Similarities between the first Adam and the second Adam, between Adam and Eden and the Lord Jesus Christ, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. There are some things that are different, is what the but is there for. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more. There it is. Look at it. It's then there again. Should we mark that as being redundant? No. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. 
So there's much more again. There's a but. Even though the comparison is very good, very accurate, and teaches us many things, there are differences that we want to point out. And the difference in verse 15 is the quality. The quality is better in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus, the Son of God, is a better man than just dust into which God breathed the breath of life. There's no comparison in quality. And I've taught all this before in great detail. We've got to keep moving right on because I want to share some other things with you. But notice in verse 15, there's a difference made, and that is a difference in quality. The quality of Jesus Christ and, and God's grace is a greater effort on his part for his glory than just applying his justice against the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. Then we come to verse 16. And, do you know what and means in 16? But is what it means. Because it's adding to the but of verse 15. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. Here's another difference. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. If God would apply the doctrine of imputation to one sin for the first Adam, and then he wipes out many sins through Jesus Christ, it's a quantitative superiority. The quantity is better. Do you see the comparison there between one sin of Adam, one offense of Adam, and many offenses Jesus paid for? So it's obviously much more better, much more binding, much more reigning. It's the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are wonderful verses. Don't be confused by the buts. Get excited about the buts. Because they are differences, because it's superior. It's better. Then we get to verse 17. For he's going to take from those differences. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Oh, you're kidding. It's in there again. Much more. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. If there was reigning power in just the sentence of death, how much more, well, you know the answer to that one, much more, abounding much more, will, will grace reign in life by Christ Jesus? So when we look at these verses, yes, verse 14 tells us, Adam in Eden was a figure or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, a representation of him. But 15, 16, and 17 tell us successively that Jesus Christ is better qualitatively because Jesus, the Son of God, is better than Adam. And Jesus Christ is quantitatively better than the doctrine of imputation, the Garden of Eden, because it's many offenses versus one offense. It's much larger, bigger thing, event on the part of God. And then verse 17 tells us the reigning power of those differences and superiority make this reign greater. Much more shall we reign in life by one, Christ Jesus. Eternal life, life now, hope. I don't care if a person's never heard about Adam. Does a person need to invite Adam into their heart as their personal sin representative in order to die and go to hell? That's what an Arminian would say. Oh, they wouldn't say that because halfway through that little paragraph, they'd know they're heretics. But we say it about them because it's ridiculous. Do you have to know about Adam to be affected by Adam? No. 
It rains. It rains. 2,500 years with no direct commandment to break like Adam broke and death reigned. But did you get all the much mores of this passage? So as strong as I made death, as strong as I made sin, as strong as I made dysfunction, destruction, decay, in the first sermon, much more does eternal life, righteousness, abundant life reign through Jesus Christ. And you, you should just embrace it and love it and shout. We should be shouting Baptists about now. But most of you need help. And maybe we'll provide it next Sunday at the break. Well, the Bible says, men that shout by reason of wine. You ought to be able to shout by reason of the gospel. Honestly, this is tremendous. So few understand this passage. And the much more, and the much more, and the much more, and the many versus one. You know, imputation is one for many. But in verse 16, the quantitative difference is many offenses show a more important and larger operation of God than the one offense. And all of it together is just to shout, thank you, Lord Jesus. All of it is to shout that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What do you think, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've confirmed your faith by some imperfect works, If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know how sure you are of eternal life? It's surer than death. How sure? Much more. Much sure. Much more abounding. So we have Adam's problem, and we add to that Moses' problem. Moses' problem was all the commandments we couldn't keep, and so it said sin abounded because of Moses being added to Adam. But what about grace? hath much more abounded. Don't ever be afraid of death. Learn from the Bible faith that will give you hope to never be afraid of death. Now this is Romans 5. On Wednesday evening, you got a few minutes, a few too many minutes. I broke my time limit severely. I... I gave you some thoughts from the last 12 verses of Romans 8. And right here in just a a minute, Colin prayed for us a few minutes ago that the Lord would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of his law. Ryan, a few minutes ago, blessed this church by saying, I hope that through this event, God will use it for his glory. The way I presented Romans 8, 28 to 39 to you on Wednesday night was brand new to your pastor. And I've received quite a bit of feedback about it. Inside of five minutes on a Sunday afternoon, I asked the Lord for a passage for Sarah. Inside of one minute, he gave me the passage. And over the next couple of minutes, he said, he didn't say it. You know what I mean. He convicted me. Look at the number of occurrences of death in that passage and make that passage an assurance of eternal life instead of going into it to pull out proof text for doctrine. 
and I said, Sherry, turn on the camera. Anybody that knows me knows that's one of the hardest things I can ever say in my life. The Lord is very merciful. The 12 verses came in a whole new light. Just assurance. Constant assurance on top of assurance on top of assurance. And they are the reasons and the rules of how God governs the universe for the sake of his children. Do you remember me saying those words? And here we are. The reigning law of righteousness and life in Christ Jesus. Look at Romans 8 at the beginning of the chapter, not the end of the chapter this time. Continue to pray for your pastor. Let's continue to pray Psalm 119, verse 18. Open thou mine eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. In a blinding flash of light, the Lord can take away 45 years of using and preaching Romans 8 and show it to me in a whole new light. There were some souls really greatly blessed by it. And it's just the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit, and it's the Word of God. And until He shows us a new angle on verses, we don't have the angle. He's got to show it. It's all Him. It's all Him. I get to be Balaam's transportation. It's all Him. Look at Romans 8. I want you to be sure. Sarah, I want you to be sure. Sarah, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm telling you about a king. And I'm telling you about his laws. And they reign much more than even sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you can put yourself in the second half of the verse, by living that kind of a life, by putting down the flesh and living after the Spirit, then the first half of the verse applies to you. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. There's a new law in town. There's a new marshal. There's a new king. And he reigns. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, the law was good and holy and just, but we couldn't keep it because we're wicked. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What a verse. Look at the fullness of verse 3 and how many things it's saying to you about the law of Moses and the purpose of God sending his son and what Jesus actually did. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I have kept the law of God. I've kept the law of God perfectly. All 718 commandments. Continually. I've done them. I haven't just talked the talk, I've walked the walk. And so have every one of you who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 3. Let's, let's find the name of this king. Now, this king has lots of names, and we love the names of this king. I know you do, but this is a, a new one that we haven't referred to except today a couple of times. And we just sang about some of these names. There's more than one name in this passage. 
Acts chapter 3, Peter is defending the healing of the blind man. The lame man, excuse me, the lame man from his mother's womb in verse 2 is the lame man. And Peter's defending what they have just done, healing this man. And when Peter saw it, and the people wondering in verse 11, verse 12 is where I'm at, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just. We just sang those names. And desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And killed the prince of life. And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. We apostles are witnesses that you killed Jesus of Nazareth, who is the just and the Holy One of God, the Son of God, and He is the Prince of Life. And God's raised Him from the dead, and we healed this man by His power and by His holiness and His righteousness. Stop looking at us like we're special. All we are is Balaam's transportation, and it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ and our message about Him. It's a, I love that name, the Prince of Life versus the law of sin and death. Versus the first Adam in death, we have the second Adam, the prince of life. He's the king of glory. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. He is the king of glory. He is the king of glory. He's the prince of life. John was overwhelmed when he saw him in Revelation chapter 1. Fell at his feet as dead. Jesus reached down and told him to get up on his feet, didn't hit him with his right hand. He helped him up with his right hand. Always remember that about the Lord Jesus Christ glorified. He loves his own. He'll never be separated. We cannot be separated from his love. He'll never be separated from us. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. That is my prince of life. Do you believe in that prince of life? You are approaching death so rapidly. Did you hear the nine days that I mentioned to you? Nine days was yesterday. But nine days means you just spent nine days. You will never get back. You are nine days closer to you being in that bed and you being in that casket and you being in that vault than you were nine days ago. They're just going like that. Ripping away. I want you to believe on the Prince of Life. I want you to shout his praise. Praise ye the Lord. The first opening words of even Psalm 112, even though it is such a practical psalm, look what it begins with. Praise ye the Lord. Shout his praise. Love him. Love what he's done for us. Love the certainty of it. He's the king of glory. He's the king of life. He's got the keys of hell and of death. That means he has the authority to, and power to open and to close. When he opens, no man can shut. When he shuts, no man can open. But he's opened it for us. Amen. What is the name of our God? Jehovah. What is the meaning of that name? I am 
that I am. Do you know how God talks about his name? You say, well, you could go anywhere, Pastor. <laughs> I know. Deuteronomy 32:40. My God says this. I raise my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. I love that God so much. But he sent his son and he gave to his son all authority and power and judgment and the power of hell and of death. Now Jesus says, yes, John, I was dead, but I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of hell and of death. I raise my hand to heaven. I live forever. That's what we're assembled here for. This little secret band of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're here to get encouraged about our king, the prince of life. He raised it. I could just repeat it all until it's time to go home. I'm a very simple person. You can cry over Deuteronomy 32, 40? How long do you want me to cry? I raise my hand to heaven. I live forever. Amen. When I'm on my deathbed, you tell me about the Prince of Life. You don't need to tell me anything else. Don't bring in the outline of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> oh. Don't bring in some recording. Oh. I'll, be going, I'll be going through the dark curtain asking God to forgive me like I do every Sunday afternoon. Just come and tell me about the Prince of Life. Come and read Deuteronomy 32, 40 to me. Read Revelation 1, 18 to me. It'll be like giving me strong medicine. Um, I hope I'll be giving it to you when you come through. How about John 11? I wonder if we have any quizzers that have learned anything in John 11. Lazarus died. The sisters got onto Jesus for not coming sooner. And Jesus had a little lesson for them. Jesus said to Martha in verse 23, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That was understood all the way from Job. And it was understood by things Jesus had taught before John chapter 11. Now, Jesus said something to her. So she's got truth. She knows the truth. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that he's one of the elect God's given to you and that you have said you're not going to lose one of them and that you're going to raise them up. I know that. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That used to be the, pr the prerogative of God. He had the authority of life and of death. He's given it to me. I am the resurrection and the life. Those words should thrill you. I am the resurrection and the life. Who's speaking? The prince of life, the king of glory. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You show me a believer that has to die and be buried in a cemetery. He will live again because I am the resurrection and the life, and I will come back and, and resurrect him. There will be the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive. Does that show you how much power he has over sin and death? 
that when he comes back, he's going to take the dead in Christ first, then we which are alive and remain? That tells you what kind of a rule there is over death. He'll take them first. It's no different to him if we're alive or dead because he's got the power over both. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Amen. Amen. Do you believe it? Amen. Do you believe that whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die? You will never die in spirit because your spirit is immediately with the Lord when it leaves your body. Your body doesn't really die. It goes to sleep until it's changed, is what the Bible describes it as. Are you going to call what... Are you going to call... What God calls, are you going to call it death, what God calls sleep? You will never die permanently because your body's coming back to life. You will never die penally because you're never going to be punished that way because Jesus Christ was punished in your stead. And you will never die the second death because you're going to live with eternal life in heaven forever. There's five ways in which, when it says, do you believe that whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die? You say, well, what about the, the body dying? Thank God for that tremendous event to get rid of this carcass. And you can't get an oak tree unless you put an acorn in the ground. And this is the acorn. And the new body that comes out is so superior and so great compared to the first one is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus Christ our Lord died on a tree to save us from Adam's tree so that we might get the tree of life. I hope you like the three trees of the Bible. Jesus died on a tree to pay for Adam eating from the wrong tree so that we can eat from the right tree. You say, what will I wash it down with? The water of the fountain of life that is given freely in the last chapter of the Bible. Life. Ah, let's toast life and drink the from the fountain of life. That is a symbolic figurative picture of the Lord Jesus Christ dying for us and giving us eternal life. The law of righteousness and life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Rejoice in these things. There's going to be a day coming soon where you'll need them. Sherry and I are provoking each other because life is speeding by so quickly and the event of the last couple of weeks and, and knowing that it was coming, we don't want to be even thinking about anything new or trying to create thoughts in the day of demise. We want to have our faith established already. And so today, today, that's what it's, it's all about right now. Right now. Let's embrace the Prince of Life. Yeah, will, will it hurt if I do it one more time? I raise my hand to heaven and swear I live forever. And he'll be at your bedside. And he'll reach out his hand and he'll take you into glory. To what extent he uses his chariot angels, the Bible does say, that they are involved. Rejoice with me. Jesus died in a tree to more perfectly redeem us from the law of Moses.
He didn't just keep the law of Moses and its positive commands, but he also died on a tree, which the, the law of Moses says it is a curse for a man to die on a tree. That's why God wanted stoning. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. But Jesus hung on a tree for us. He wasn't stoned. He arranged it in the providence of God. Don't worry about the, po the political games that are being played. God's in charge. God put Rome in charge of Israel so that Jesus wouldn't be stoned, so that he would be crucified, so that he would hang on a tree, so that he'd perfectly fulfill the law of Moses, including its curses. Galatians 3.13. So sure is the resurrection that we bury our dead. We don't cremate them like there is no hope. We are filled with hope. We bury we always bury. Our bodies only sleep. Don't you love the way we do it? In a nice satin bed? On our backs? With a pillow to be comfortable? Because we're just, we're just waiting down there. It's, it's such a picture. You know, that's why we baptize the way we do. Lay you down to the water, bring you back up. And we just lay there, have my eyelids open. I'm just, we might as well be looking for them. None of my children would come to the casket. I'm not trying, want, I want to move you to think about how are you going to take hold of the scriptures of God and the gospel and build your faith. What verses, what verses light you up? You know, I gave you Romans 8.3. Th that Romans 8.3 is full. Do you want Jesus dying on a tree? 1 Peter 2.24. Where do you want to go? Or do you want to go to Revelation 5? Where, there she is. Oh yeah, Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Is, does that light you up about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Take Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, that's all I know how to give you. I want to give you the word of God as persuasively as I can, as Paul gave it to us in Romans chapter 8, when he said, for I am persuaded. And he started out with what? The worst enemy that we have. He started out with the king of terrors. For I am persuaded that neither death. Beautiful. Beautiful. But just a couple verses earlier, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall the sword? Death is in there more than you think. Shall the sword separate us? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Run that thing through me. I'm more than a conqueror. Do you believe? Believest thou this? Jesus will raise the dead and those that are buried first. I can't, I'm out of time in certain respects to turn you to very many more passages. Do you remember that when Jesus rose from the dead, the graves had all been opened when he died on the cross? There was a terrible, earth, tremendous earthquake. The veil of the temple was rent. The rocks were torn and the cemeteries opened. But nothing happened yet to those in the caskets until Jesus rose from the dead 
Then many rose with him. The residual power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ raised many more from the dead, and they got up, walked out of the cemetery, into Jerusalem, and appeared unto many. That is the testimony of Scripture. You say it's not in all four Gospels. I don't need it in all four Gospels. I've got it in Matthew. And what a glorious statement to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. Revelation 1.5. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Colossians 1.18. Jesus is the firstfruits of the dead. That's the one you like a little bit better. Do you know why he's called the firstfruits from the dead? Because you're going to follow right along with him in the harvest of elect souls into the eternal presence of God. He's just the first fruits because he did it first for us to show us how to do it. And how do you do it? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Did Stephen copy him exactly? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's how you... Don't be afraid, Sarah. Just say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus is the mocker of death and the grave by his victory over both in 1 Corinthians 15. He's the victor over death. And we have the victory through him in 1 Corinthians 15. Our Savior saw no corruption. Corpses quickly rot as worms rapidly consume them from inside and out. Job, is full, Job has references to worms. Jesus saw no corruption. Job knew, though after my skin, worms destroy this body. Yet in my flesh I shall see him, and my eyes shall behold him, and they will be mine and not another's. They will be my eyes, my eyes restored to see my Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now I know a young lady in here, that's her favorite passage about this subject that I'm on right now. It's a great passage. Which one do you want? Or which dozen? Do you want to buy a dozen? Do you want a baker's dozen? And rejoice in the Word of God. It's by the Spirit and the Word that you can have faith to rejoice over death. Because there's a law, and there's a king, and he's the prince of life, and he's the king of glory. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. Just, just give me a couple minutes. Whatever they mean, whatever couple means. 2 Corinthians 3. Just, just let me close up here with the glory of salvation is great, and it's greater then the condemnation of the Old Testament, and how much greater? Much more greater. And we should never forget that. We Thank the Lord that this is a New Testament church. What if it was an Old Testament church? Oh, you'd be lined up bringing me animals, and I'd need some help up here butchering and burning and stinking and splattering and flies, dung, spread every Just filthy, terrible. It was. It was. Listen, goats stink without you even helping them with the knife. Well, they do. You don't want me to go into their habits. 
We're a New Testament church. Thank you, blessed God. We know it was your plan all along, but 2,500 years of patriarchs can't see what we see. 1,500 years of Old Testament, Moses and prophets didn't see what we see clearly, and we see it clearly. We have it in writing about your son. Thank you, Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 compares the two covenants. So Paul said in verse 6, who also hath made us apostles, able ministers of the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not of the letter of the Old Testament, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Remember the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath saved us from the law of sin and death? Do you want a religion that kills or religion that gives life? Do you want a religion of the letter that you've got to memorize all these 718 commandments to do them to see if you can get someplace with that obedience? No. But if the ministration of death, that means if the worship and the presentation by God of the old covenant, I I cannot explain it anymore. These are the two covenants being compared. Moses' religion versus Jesus' religion. If the ministration of death, you know that's Moses, written and engraven in stones was glorious, and it was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? That's what I'm... Embrace it. It was glorious. Moses exceedingly feared and quaked. There were laws that if even a kitty cat or your dog got near Mount Sinai, it was to be thrust through with darts. Mount Sinai looked like a blast furnace shooting its embers up into the sky. It was a glorious sight. Thunderings and a trumpet sound waxing louder and louder, terrifyingly glorious. How much more shall the ministration of the Spirit be glorious? The preaching of the New Testament. Verse 9, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more... Oh, we got Paul. You're going to do that again to us. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Is there a difference between condemnation and righteousness? Yes. Condemnation is what Adam did to us, what you do to you, and righteousness is what Jesus Christ did for us. And it's glorious. It exceeds in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. Are you able to understand that verse? The New Testament is so glorious, the Old Testament really didn't have any. It's just, which of these verses will you take and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and own your Prince of Life? For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Look at Paul just crushing the law of Moses. The law of, he goes, the law of Moses is only temporary. If you, think, if, if you think something temporary can have glory, what about something that lasts forever? All these different arguments that the New Testament is greater. I don't have time for Galatians 3 because I reminded you earlier today, so that should be sufficient, that the promise that was made to Abraham was made by an oath of God 430 years before the law of Moses. 
And the law of Moses could not touch that promise because it was made by an oath and it was made 430 years earlier. And it had nothing to do with the law of Moses. It had everything to do with the Son of God that was going to come and fulfill the law of Moses for us. Three choirs in heaven break forth and sing praise about this Redeemer. Jesus has saved us from the plan of sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the practice of sin, and the presence of sin. Brethren, as we go out of here, the law of death says 73 years on average, so we must live in light of it. So teach us to number our days like Colin prayed. We are all damned to three deaths. We all were damned to three deaths. But we've been saved from three deaths, so we ought to live for him who died for us. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. We reason this way, that if one died for all, then all were dead. And they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. It's just logical. We ought to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us from the death that we asked for and saved us from the wages that we have earned. When the Bible talks about a life of patience, it's because of hope. Remember the proof of election in 1 Thessalonians 1 is the work of faith, the labor of love, and the church got to hear a testimony of the labor of love and patience of hope. Because when you have hope in what I'm telling you, you can cheerfully endure any negative event, which is what patience is. So let's put on the helmet, the hope of salvation, that we have a prince of life who is coming for us and will never lose us. And I'm persuaded, Paul said, that that which I've committed unto him he's able to keep against him unto that great day. Two kings, the king of terrors, the prince of life. The reigning laws of sin and death, the reigning laws of righteousness and life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey him. Love him. Talk about him. Let's build each other's faith and hope up before the day comes. And it's, it's racing for each of us. Please stand with me. Almighty God, Father in heaven, pity us. Like David told us you do. You pity us like a good father pities his children. The glory of these things is beyond the reaches of our spirits and minds still cloaked in flesh. The glory of your Son is ineffably sublime. The unsearchable riches of your grace are beyond our measurement. Your gift to us is an unspeakable gift. Yet we seek to speak about it. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your grace that sent your son. We thank you for your eternal counsel that set your grace on us and chose us in your son before the foundation of the world. We thank you for this great drama that planned sin and death and planned righteousness and life 
through two different Adams. We thank thee for sending the second Adam. We thank thee for giving us an interest in him. We thank thee that we are in him by your electing grace. Go with us now. Strengthen us, O Lord, and cause us to remember these things and to put them into practice and to speak of them to others. And let us rejoice in the Prince of Life. Please take each one of your children that are here or that hear me at some other place or time to land upon some sweet promise in your word and find great comfort, great joy, great pleasure and profit for their souls. Bless them to do that. Remind them that they need to look into your word to increase their faith and hope. We thank thee for all that you've given us today. We thank thee for these three or four hours that we've had together. Now we go out into the world. It's a world where you've put us. Thank you for saving us out of it. We disagree with it on every level about everything. Go with us and keep us. Let your spirit commune with us and put a hedge about us and protect us from the powers of darkness. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we commit our souls to thee. Holy Father, guard our souls and receive us in the great day coming through Jesus Christ our Lord for time and eternity. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>